Hi, Faith family. I welcome you to our Good Friday worship. We call it Good Friday and not Bad Friday because we see Jesus' death on a cross not as a defeat, but as a victory. On the cross, Jesus took all that evil could inflict, and he wrapped it in himself, and he responded with absolute love. Let's pray. Jesus, we come humbly to the foot of your cross. We see that your disciples have abandoned you. We hear the taunting crowds. We see the shame you endured. We hear your words of despair and trust. Jesus, you have entered our suffering, our shame, our despair, our abandonment and humiliation. Lead us to the wholeness of your salvation. In your name we pray. Amen.
Hi everyone, I'm Miss Leah, and I want to share a story about Good Friday with you today. We're going to be reading again from the book Easter Love Letters from God, written by Glennis Nellist and illustrated by Sophie Alsop and published by Zonder Kids. And they've given us permission to read from this during Holy Week. While I'm reading you the story, my friend Chris Bowers is going to be working with that painting that she did for us on Palm Sunday. And so our story today starts in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to pray. Darkness fell as the disciples followed Jesus out into the night. Jesus walked through the quiet streets toward the Garden of Gethsemane. He wanted to pray. The moon shone through the olive trees as Jesus knelt down. The garden was gloomy. All was still. Father, are you there? Jesus said quietly. Do I have to die? Is there any other way that we can teach the world about heaven? There was no reply. Jesus sobbed. He didn't want to die, but he trusted God. And even though he felt all alone, he knew that God was with him. He was ready. The sound of heavy footsteps broke the silence of the night. Angry shouts filled the air. Jesus looked up through his tears. Shadowy figures came toward him. Torches flickering in the darkness. The soldiers were there to take him away. Jesus stood up. It was time to go. The Darkest Day High on the hillside, Jesus hung on the cross. Long, sharp nails pinned him to the wood. A crown of spiky thorns dug deep into his forehead. Jesus was ready to die, but he was still afraid. He could see his mother crying. He could hear the soldiers laughing at him. He could feel the sharp nails through his hands and his feet. Jesus cried out. He could not move. He could not breathe. He felt all alone. Where was his father now? The sun disappeared behind a huge gray cloud. Cold crept in. Darkness covered the world. Jesus closed his eyes. He bowed his head. He took one last breath. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, in that cold and darkness, Jesus died. The wind howled, the whole earth trembled, the rocks shattered, the hills quaked, and the mighty curtain in the temple split in two. But Jesus was still. It was finished. And your love letter from God today says, Dear children, shall I tell you a secret? When Jesus was crying on the cross, I was crying too. When those nails were hurting Jesus, I was hurting too. When Jesus felt all alone, I felt all alone too. And when my son died, part of me died too. But guess what? Death does not win in this story. Life wins, love wins. My promise to Jesus was that nothing could separate him from my love. And that is the same promise I give to you. Love God. And that's the sad story of Good Friday. It's a hard one for me to tell. And it makes me cry because of how mean they were to Jesus. But I want you to know that as sad as it was, Jesus did all of that for you and for me, for each one of us. He did that to cover our sins like the black paint covered the drawing. But guess what? That is not the end of the story. 
It's not over. God had bigger plans for Jesus. And I can't wait to share that part with you on Easter morning. Until then, may the Lord bless you and always smile upon you. Amen. I'll see you on Easter. Bye. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. On Good Friday, we usually read from one of the Gospels about Jesus' trial, mocking, sentencing, uh, torture, crucifixion, death, and burial. But as you just heard, today we read from the prophet Isaiah. That's because Isaiah gives us the why. Isaiah 53 tells us the meaning of Jesus' death, even though it was written hundreds of years before he was born. The book of Isaiah contains four songs about a suffering servant. Now, in the first song, you could make a case 
that Israel was meant to be God's suffering servant, but then we find out that Israel has failed in its mission. It's clear in chapter 53, the, the last of these four songs, that the suffering servant is called to do something that Israel could never do. In the years following Jesus' death and resurrection, when his followers were seeking to understand why, why was Jesus rejected and why did he suffer and, and die, they, they returned over and over to Isaiah 53. This chapter is like a diamond mine, and the New Testament writers keep pulling out gems from it that brilliantly reflect Jesus. For example, after Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, that evening, lots of people show up at the door, you know, people bringing their, their sick and demon-possessed loved ones, and Jesus heals them all. Matthew, the gospel writer, sees this as a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, and he quotes, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, despite Jesus' many miracles, some refused, many refused to believe in him. Uh, John's gospel quotes Isaiah 53 about, about people's reluctance to believe what has been revealed to them. He says, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In the book of Acts, we find a man from Africa who's been to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage. Now, he's headed home when God sends Philip his way. So the African man is sitting in the back of his chariot, uh, reading aloud Isaiah 53, wondering, who is this about? What does it mean? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Just then, Philip runs up and joins him, and starting with this passage, Isaiah 53, Philip tells him about Jesus. One more. Peter's first letter reminds us that just as Jesus suffered, we too should be ready to suffer, though without sinning, and so by doing that, follow in his steps. Then Peter reaches back to Isaiah 53 saying that despite his suffering, that Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. If we were doing a Bible study of Isaiah 53, we'd, we'd have to start really with the last three verses of chapter 52, because uh, that's the intro to this uh, suffering servant song. But today we'll just look at uh, chapter 53. Uh, one thing I find interesting is that the Gospels give us no uh, physical description of Jesus. Have you, have you noticed that? We don't know whether he was tall or short, if he had curly hair or straight, if his nose was large or small. The only clue we have is in this prophetic word from Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract him to us, to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. It seems to be telling us that the suffering servant was not a particularly good-looking person. Maybe, maybe that was part of Jesus's uh, experience. Um, maybe uh, that was part of the suffering that he endured since childhood. You know, I wonder if he wasn't one of the popular kids. I've watched several films depicting the life of Jesus, and they all give us a, you know, relatively handsome Messiah. 
None of them pick up from this clue from Isaiah that there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. When I was in middle school, I, I was not athletic at all. I was not strong. I was slow and uncoordinated. And I, I always got a C plus in PE. The plus was for attitude and effort, but that's, that's the best I could get. During those years, uh, I, I was also in 4-H and I showed calves at the county fair. And I remember one time, as I led my calf out of the ring, the judge said on his microphone, that, that calf's just not built right. Right away, I thought about myself. I'm just not built right. Took me a lot of years to get over that and adopt a better view of myself. But I wonder if maybe Jesus dealt with the pain of, of not liking his appearance as he was growing up. Maybe, maybe he understood my middle school angst. But the pain described in Isaiah 53 goes much further. He was despised and rejected, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. People loved Jesus while he was healing the sick and feeding the multitudes, but once he no longer fit their idea of success, they turned on him. They quit following him. We feel sorry for people who suffer, but that doesn't mean we want to hang around them all the time. Then in verse 4, we begin to learn the reason for the servant's suffering. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. What? What does his pain and his suffering have to do with me? According to my Old Testament professor, John Oswalt, uh, when people were standing around watching Jesus die on the cross, they were probably thinking, you know, I hate that this guy has to die this way, but what can I say? He brought it on himself. If he had been a little smarter, he could have prevented this. What was he thinking, knocking over the coin tables of the, in the temple and running off the livestock? How could he be so foolish to call the religious leaders a bunch of snakes and a brood of vipers? I mean, I feel for the guy, but I have to say, he brought it on himself. Why are we so quick to blame the victim? I think it's because we want to believe that justice happens. That way we can feel more in control of our own destiny. But Jesus did not bring it on himself. He got what he did not deserve. Verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Professor Oswalt says the, the word translated iniquities, the Hebrew word avon, is, is kind of a hard one to find an English equivalent for, but he says twistedness gets near to its meaning. Our lives are warped and twisted, and Jesus took upon himself the wrath of our torturous twistedness. Isaiah talks about the punishment that brought us peace. And the word translated peace there is a word that we know in Hebrew, shalom. Such a beautiful word, isn't it? Shalom. It even sounds peaceful. And of course, it can be translated peace, but you know, in a way, it's bigger than that. It means 
wholeness. It means well-being. So we can read it that Jesus received a beating so that we could receive well-being. Our good Muslim neighbors have a teaching in the Quran that says that Jesus did not actually die on the cross. Uh, he just appeared to die and then was taken directly to heaven. They say that because they can't imagine that God would allow someone as good as Jesus the Messiah, and they, they still call him Messiah, to suffer so horribly. But our scriptures say that Jesus did die. Isaiah says the blades that pierced his skin, the blows that crushed his body, that he endured them for us to bring us shalom, to make us whole. The problem is that we damage our relationship with God whenever we disobey and go astray. And we, as a result, we become twisted, distorted versions of our true selves and then become more alienated from God. And we are unable to fix it. We are unable to restore our relationship with God. Only God can do that. And only Jesus, being fully God, can demonstrate God's faithfulness and forgiveness. And Jesus, also being fully human, represents the humanity that we should have been. Only he is qualified to take our suffering upon himself. That's why Jesus is the answer to our twisted human story. Author Josh McNall says, to change the course of any story, one needs not only a writer, but a character as well. And as the God-man, Jesus fills both roles. Jesus stepped into our story as the author who became a character. He came to rewrite your story. Surely he took up your pain and bore your suffering. Recently, I watched a video called The Forbidden Chapter. It shows one-on-one -on -one sidewalk interviews in Israel. Now, all the conversation is in Hebrew, but fortunately, it has English subtitles. Uh, the interviewer explains that there's a chapter in the scriptures that's no longer read in the synagogues. And the person the chapter speaks of was identified by the ancient rabbis as the Messiah. So, handing them a copy of the Hebrew Bible, the interviewer asks each person to read a few verses from Isaiah 53. So, one after another, we see Israeli men and women reading in their own Hebrew language these verses for the very first time. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you know how a sheep goes astray? They munch their way from one clump of grass to another, to another, to another, until finally they are alone. They've wandered off. Now, for a sheep, this is not willful disobedience. It's just maybe you'd call it a lack of perspective. But I have willfully strayed from God. I have worked things to my own advantage and left others to clean it up. I've downloaded what isn't mine. I've blown up when I didn't get my way. I've lusted and coveted after what is not mine to have. And I'm accountable to God for my choices. In the sidewalk interviews in Israel, the 
the two talk about how they need this kind of Messiah, someone to atone for our sins. They read on that even though this Messiah is righteous, his suffering leads to death. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Then the interviewer asks each of them if they know anyone in history who, who fits this description. Who does that sound like? Most of them can't think of anyone. They, they don't know who it might be. But a couple of them ask, is it Yeshua? Yeshua is the Hebrew name we translate Jesus. A few are curious and want to talk further. Others throw up their hands in disgust and walk away. But for those who remain, they see in Isaiah 53 that this suffering servant will live again. He will see his offspring, which I believe means us, and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Of course, we know that every choice we make comes with consequences, doesn't it? Every choice you make comes with consequences. And some of those consequences you will live with for the rest of your life. But the worst of those consequences Jesus has taken for you. His punishment brings you peace. His beating gives you well-being. His suffering sends you salvation. That's God's will for you. And in Jesus' hands, it will prosper. Let's pray. Oh God, we are the sheep who have willfully gone astray. We are guilty of all kinds of transgressions and iniquities that have left our souls gnarled and twisted. And, oh, Lord, we long to be made whole. Jesus, today we honor you for the victory of love you have won for us on the cross and the salvation you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen. And now I want us to take just a little bit to reflect upon Jesus and his suffering with this artistic video. It's about 90 seconds, so... Just take a moment and, and uh, reflect and meditate upon this.
Let's pray again. And now, O oh God, we wait. We wait in grief, in loss. We wait in confusion, in pain. Only you can turn our mourning into dancing. Only you can turn our waiting into rejoicing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.